now that I'm sober, I'm like embarrassed. Like, how could I beat opiates and, and meth and heroin and all these heavy drugs and then get my butt kicked by cake? Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. If I can help just one person find a solution or at least realize they're not broken or alone, then writing this has been worth it. You can pick up the book exclusively at Amazon or signed copy at secretlifenovel.com. And the best way to support our podcast is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts yet, please do. It'll help more people find our show. And if you want to be a guest, shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Adam. Now, Adam, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) What is your secret? My big secret for the longest time was my addiction. And not just my addiction to drugs, but to sex and food and all kinds of stuff. Ooh, so you're like a -a whack-a-mole person, too. Yes, very much so. (laughs) You know, like what you put one thing down, something else pops up. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about it. So can you name for me how many addictions you have or can you name them? Yeah. I mean, so off the top of my head, there's alcoholism and drug addiction. Those are those are kind of the big ones. And especially I write about those ones. But then there's the one that, you know, I still have a lot of shame around is the sex addiction. Um, and then there's the food addiction, that's for sure. And then there's probably others. I would be willing to bet I have a video game addiction um, and, you know, like a writing addiction. Maybe that one's a good one, though. Like a workaholic? Um, no, see, if, yes, you're like, exactly. if you lose yourself in it, that's when it yeah. becomes bad, right? Right, right. Yeah, wow, so, definitely so I think you have six, at least six. <laughs> Somewhere in there. <laughs> Listen, I'm only saying that because I have it too. Like I'll do the food sure. and then I'll do like overworking out or, mm. you know, self-obsessed. I mean, I, yes. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. So when did you notice that these addictions were flaring up? When was your AKA bottom? So, um, I mean, I noticed that they were bad, especially with the alcoholism and drug addiction by the time I was like 20, probably 20 or 21. And I only started only, but I started when I was 17. Mm -hmm. So I had people at the age of 18, you know, and like middle of 17. So within like six months or so, people were saying, dude, you got a problem. You do not drink and use normally. And so, you know, it just became, and then when I got on opiates, things just like, you know, took off. What were the opiates you used? 
Um, so I started with uh, Oxycontin, and that that was my drug of choice for a long time. Um, and it was fairly easy for me to get it, mm-hmm. um, I found, because I was really good at meeting old people, I guess. I don't know. They all seem to have <laughs> that, Oxycontin. That's so random. I'm really I good know, at meeting right? old people. <laughs> it, it was really a bizarre skill to learn that I had. Um, wow. Yeah. But then the food stuff, that didn't come... I mean, that started at a much younger age, but I didn't really see it as a problem until I'd been sober for a number of years. And the same with the sex addiction. I didn't even really realize that it was that kind of, that it was an addiction um, until I'd been sober a number of years and I could sort of think clearly. So first let's hit the opiate one, right? I'm interested in this because I haven't talked about it. I, yeah, I, I, have got prescribed Oxycontin and I took it for two days and I'm Mm -hmm. not kidding. Coming off that was the worst headache. It is the worst feeling ever. I was like, I see how people get addicted to this. I don't have that drug thing. I don't, Mm -hmm. mine's all sex and love, but right. Like what, what was the high you liked from it? And then how was that bottom? Yeah. So the high was so different from everything that I experienced before with like alcohol and, you know, like cocaine and meth. I experimented with everything as soon as I learned. Yeah. I was like, oh, marijuana is not bad. Um, I have been lied to by Nancy Reagan. Uh, You know, it's like not nearly as bad as all the TV shows and the commercials tell you it is. So I'm going to try everything. But opiates were like, they were smooth and they allowed me to think and I didn't lose control. And I mm. very much, there's another addiction, control. Control, uh, yeah. I feel like that's like the base of all addictions. We want control, right? Totally, totally. And the bottom came when, I mean, it, it rapidly went downhill um, once I got onto opiates because I started selling them. It was the only way I could afford them. Um, mm. But I was keeping that addiction secret not just from my parents so that they would continue to give, cause I was in school, mm-hmm. I was in college and they were sending me money that I would, you know, funnel into the drugs and then try to make it back. But also hiding it from other addicts, other mm-hmm. people I would drink with who, who were very clearly alcoholics who were like, Whoa, what are you doing with this hard stuff? And I, no, no, I gave that up. I don't do that stuff. So wow. it was this bizarre layering of, of secrets from different, you know, people, people who you wouldn't think you'd have to keep it secret from. Right. Like that shame, you already felt that. So you were keeping it from other addicts who we all do the same thing and for the same reasons. Right. Right. Yeah. So when was that bottom? How did that look? So it looked bad. I mean, I eventually got raided. I was in Kansas and we got raided. We, me and my roommate were both selling drugs out of Mm. this apartment and Mm -hmm. we got raided by the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. Oh, wow. You were on that list. list. (laughs) Exactly. And I didn't even know they existed until they bust through my door. You know, I was like, oh, I guess you guys are a thing. I didn't (laughs) know each state had their own. Um, (laughs) But that, that was kind of the rock bottom in terms of it, it killed the ability for me to keep selling because it, I always tell people it's like being robbed. They took my money, they took my drugs, they took my guns, and then they left. Mm-hmm. And and then after that, things kept going, got worse and worse. I was getting DUIs and wrecking cars because I always switched from opiates to alcohol back and forth. Right. And and then you know I started to get really suicidal um, because they did they didn't arrest me. They didn't arrest either they of didn't- us. They, what? Yeah. 
Because yeah, I was about to you, say, how long did you spend in jail? And you yeah, said, you you would think so, right? No, they, yeah. they took everything and they were like, we're going to have to run this all through a lab. And it took them a year and a half to analyze everything. So what? they weren't going to arrest us in the meantime. Well, my my roommate was like manufacturing all kinds of weird stuff. He he was a very weird drug kind of guy. He'd come in and be like, I have some ketamine. Do you want some? Of it? Sure. I don't know how you got that or why you have it because we're in the middle of Kansas in the middle of nowhere. But the <laughs> cornfield, you're in the middle of a cornfield and he's like, yeah, bringing out all these crazy drugs. Yeah. So, <laughs> OK, so you didn't get arrested. I guess uh-uh. that's bad and it's good at the same time. It, it was bad because I I kind of wish I had because yeah. I, I got really suicidal and I attempted suicide twice uh, not too long after that. And that was really the rock bottom. How did you, how did you attempt that? So the first time was like, not quite like actually going for it, but I went out and I spent whatever money I had left over at the time on as many different drugs as I could get that were downers. And I bought a lot of alcohol and I bought a gun. Um, But thankfully my girlfriend at the time, I didn't have a car because of this DUI, one of the DUIs I'd gotten. So my Mm -hmm. girlfriend at the time was driving me to all these places and she knew what was going on. So she just didn't leave for like three days. Mm. And we went through all the dope and I was like, well, I'm not just going to shoot myself because I'm so scared of messing it up uh, and, you know, being brain damaged for the rest of my life. So I never went through with it. But the second time um, she and I got in a huge, and now she was using a lot of opiates with me. um, And I stole a bunch of money from her to buy opiates and I didn't share. So that might've been probably one of the big reasons she was upset but during, during this argument about this money I stole. Um, I ended up eating a big handful of pills wow. and, and re and I hadn't really intended that. But then as soon as I did, I said, yes, this is what I want. Um, and thankfully I, you know, I got, um, some people, I ended up walking out and I was, my intention was to die in this alley and, listen to some music and my, my uh, headphones and my phone died. So I wandered into this like labor ready place and passed out in front of some people and they called an ambulance and revived me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, a part of me is thinking like, it sounds like a movie, you know, like going under (laughs) a bridge, listening to sad music and right. But it's like, for for that your phone to die and for you to yeah. wander that's the only thing that saved you it it really was and you know looking back to me cuz i worked the 12 steps looking back to me that was like one of those moments that was like this is a higher power working yeah. in your life yeah i mean i've had those too and it's almost like an out of body experience where Very much somebody so. is taking care of you and you don't know how you got yeah. to where you were to get help yep yeah, yeah exactly wow um, I do want to talk about the the eating too, because you said sure. it started young. What was yours after you, you know, got sober in 12 steps? How long have you been sober? So I got sober, I've been sober a little over nine years. I got Yay. sober in 2011. Yay. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so when you take when we if you're listening and you're not in a 12 step program, we, you go and you, you do all this self analyzation with someone else and you dig up all this crap and you Mm -hmm. found out you were also addicted to eating. What were those behaviors like? So those started at a much 
younger age, um, you know, I, I looking back, I think I always overate. Um, yeah, I me always too. wanted more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was never able to get myself to purge, but I, every now and then I would get into these, you know, the exercising, um, what do they call it? Exercise, um, anorexic or whatever. Right. 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 Um, and, but I mean, I would in high school, for example, I would every day after I got out of school, I would go home and I would eat a box, a whole box of cheese. It's like the family size cheese. It's, mm-hmm. and I would drink like six Mountain Dews and then I would have dinner. <laughs> so it was really out of control. Um, as long as I can remember, I always just wanted more food. I wanted sugary foods. I wanted yeah. fatty foods, all the bad stuff. Anything that it, it sets off that in your head, like that euphoria. Yeah. And then after yeah. you're done eating, you always like crash. Yeah. Yeah. And I, re- and I regret it. I feel yeah. so ashamed of that. I've done this yet again. Do you still do that to this day? Do you have those um, moments? Yeah, I do. Um, that's been, the food has been one of the biggest struggles, I think even more than the, the, alcoholism in the drug because with alcohol and drugs you just you have you're either on them or you're off yeah it's very black and white yeah it is but you have to eat you have to walk the tiger three times a day and um you know it is it has been so hard for me um to get on board with because there's foods where it's really clear to me yeah i can't eat anything sugary anymore but there's other stuff where it's like man i can't have french fries i can't have it's so hard for me to get it like just narrows so much. And it's food is such a part of life and, and like such a celebration. A yeah. Such a mm-hmm. social thing. And I find when I eat sugar, it does mm. the same. It sets off this. It's almost like cocaine for me. I, yeah. I can feel it rushing down my arm. Yes, like it's like this, ru- like I almost start shaking and I'm like, <gasps> you know, yeah. and then yeah. it, it, I tell my husband, I'm like, if I eat, you know, this piece of cake, I'm going to want a piece of cake every day, all the time. Right. It's like yeah. this addictive thing. Does that happen for you too? Am I the only oh, one? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's the same thing. I mean, if I, if I eat a slice of pizza, I want the whole pizza and especially with sugar stuff. I mean, yeah. I will get. I will get like, oh, I'm just going to get a slice. And then I'm looking over at my wife's plate. Like what, what's going on with that situation? You look like you're going to slow. Are you finished? Do you want, do you want all of that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Does your wife realize when you, you're doing that? Does she do it also? I mean, I don't want to give her secret away, but. (laughs) Sure, sure. No, she's, she's not a food addict at all, but she does recognize it, especially since, you know, I got into uh, overeaters anonymous. And we mm. talked a lot about it. So she knows when it's happening, but she's powerless to do anything over it. When I'm in the, when I'm in the sugar, I, you know, I, it's like you said, it's as bad as Coke. I it mean, is. I might as well be doing that. But here's my question for you. Are you now that you're in overeaters and I know a ton of people in overeaters, yeah. do you like when you're wanting that sugar, it, is there any way you can talk yourself out of it now? Do you have those tools yet? Do you like sit there and say, why do I want this? And do you do that? I, I try to, but Mm -hmm. you know, I, I haven't had sugar in a long time, but Mm -hmm. you know, I, the, there's still stuff where it's like, I cannot talk myself out of it. I cannot. And, and I get resentful. I get really mad that I can't have these foods, you know, you like get mad at those normies that are like, yeah, Mm-hmm. This one girl I knew one time, she would like go eat 
with me and she'd be like, oh, I hate food. I don't even like, yeah. want to eat this. And I'm like, who are you and what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Screw you. Because my wife has all kinds of sugary foods that she can have in moderation and she can be OK eating it. And I will. But I still do get that. Like I open the fridge and I'm staring way yeah. too long at the food that I know I can't have. Wow. I mean, that must be hard for it being in the house. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's like um, for a long time, I was trying to hide that, too, that this was a problem because I was just for some odd reason. Well, I guess when I'm high, I don't care what people think, really. Yeah. But now that I'm sober, I'm like embarrassed. Like, how could I be opiates and, and meth and heroin and all these heavy drugs and then get my butt kicked by cake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love that. That's like the best slogan ever. Yeah. <laughs> but I I think a lot of people have the same problems. I'm hoping you're listening and thinking, oh, I do that too. So we don't feel so alone. But yeah. I hear a lot of people, they have a hard time putting down the food. It's a, mm-hmm. it's because it's attached to so many things in our life. It like is. You said. It is. I mean, we went on this trip to Italy and I was trying so hard not to not to go off of my food plan, but it was like such a deep part of that culture. And, you know, it was like, how can I travel to Italy and not have pasta? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, my husband, people would say to him, because he's in AA and he's been 30 Mm -hmm. uh, sober for 32 years and he would go to Italy and people are like, how can you not drink wine in Italy? He's like, Yep. I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like you just can't have pasta. I can't uh-huh. have that, you know, whatever yeah. dessert they have there. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. Now, I also, I love that you have the whack a mole because I, sometimes I feel like I'm the only one. But do you, <laughs> yeah. about the sex one, I'm really excited mm-hmm. to talk to you about a sex because I have to tell the audience and everybody listening. It's very hard for me to get men to come in, on here and talk about their sex addiction. Sure. Oh, yeah. I I totally get that. I wonder how much of that is like a societal thing. But it is um, it is something where it was like, because for me, it always felt predatory. You know oh. what I mean? It, it felt like I was doing something that was a level beyond. It wasn't just I was sleeping around. It was mm-hmm. I am like I am it's part of this game. That's not really a game. It's like, I am doing things that I know I shouldn't be doing. And I feel ashamed of that. Do you think it's because, especially with the me too movement and things happening Mm -hmm. that it, it, there's more stigma, like it's something you can go to jail for or be sued for. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm having the hardest time finding people to talk about it. And you wouldn't think I've been in, I've been in my sex program for 11 years and it's so hard for me to find people. Yeah. I mean, I I think, I think society is, like you said, there's been a reckoning and there's been so many people who are like severe, they're like psychopathic predators, you know? And so to, to have some sort of, to be doing this, taking this action that feels like something that those people I despise are doing, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's like, it's far more shameful than to me. And I felt far more guilty about it than, um, you know, the way I was acting with the alcohol and the drugs and the food. Well, here's my thing. And I was having a conversation and see if you agree with me with Mm -hmm. another fellow in my program. And I said, Mm -hmm. the difference between 
people like Harvey Weinstein, other than right. they, they all, we all do it for power and control usually. But sure. I feel like when someone stands up and says, I have done these things, I am not mm-hmm. proud of it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to change. I'm doing the work. There's something beautiful with that than a Harvey Weinstein who stands up there and says, I didn't do anything wrong. Like taking yeah. responsibility. Do you think once you take responsibility that that shame lifts for you or no? Yeah. I, for me, I think it does. I don't know that that happens to everyone, but for me, it very much does. It's, it's, um, it's a freeing feeling to say, I have done these things and I am um, sorry for that. You know, I regret it because just saying that I regret it, that helps me to differentiate myself from myself from these people who I know don't regret it. I know, or they regret getting caught, right? They don't regret what they did. So what did your sex addiction look like? So back when the problem was a lot of that was really wrapped up in my drug addiction, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, for example, the first time I got sober, Um, I started sleeping around as much as I could. And it was very much, I am chasing a feeling. I want to change the way I feel. And I no longer have dope to do that. And women is, you know, they're the next best thing. And it became very much this objectification. It became very much, I am trying to find anyone who, you know, not who will sleep with me, but who I can convince to sleep with me. Ooh, it was Um, like the game. More yeah, of like the exactly. conquest. Exactly. And then and then once I did it, you know, once I managed the conquest, then I felt really ashamed of it. Or, you know, I was sleeping with, you know, I would have I would almost always have a girlfriend at the time. So I'm cheating on her. So I'm hiding. There's this another yeah, I did that too. <laughs> hiding. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I can't because I'm so selfish. I can't just sleep around. I have to have someone who's always ready to go. Yeah. You know? It's all about you and, and instant yeah. gratification, but also someone yeah. stable there to be there for you. Like you're like the end all be all. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it was like and it, it was really um, during that time. It, this was my first attempt at sobriety and I failed it as a direct result of my sex behavior. Because I was sleeping around at my home group and with, I, which I do not Ooh, recommend. <laughs> no, do not 13 step people, people. No, <laughs> no. it was bad. And eventually yeah. I got confronted um, for sleeping with someone's girlfriend. And then my girlfriend confronted me about it, like all at the same moment. And because I was sober, I felt the guilt and the shame that I wouldn't have felt if I was high. Yeah. So I wouldn't got high. Wow. Well, here's, I was just talking to um, a recovery guy. uh, He runs all these recovery houses and he told Mm -hmm. me the main reason people lose their sobriety is over relationships. That's the number one thing. Sex and love take people down. Yeah. I totally believe that. I mean, I, that's what happened to me and I've seen it happen to a lot of guys where they, they get in this relationship and, that the love it's the love addiction a lot of the mm-hmm. time i think is worse sometimes than the sex addiction because they they get in the relationship and that it's all about the relationship it's all about the girl it's all about this family and i mean i have a very good friend who was sober four years and he moved and he mm-hmm. stopped working his program it was all about the wife and the kids until one day he saw someone 
smoking meth on a, like a, a news program, you know, he was watching mm-hmm. the news and mm-hmm. off and off he went and he, it was totally out of the blue. Right. It's great. I, I do remember this one specific moment when I was, I was a year or two into the program and this guy walked mm-hmm. in and he said, and when it was his turn to share, he said, I could like, I could stop meth, but I mm-hmm. can't give her up. Yeah. And it was such a powerful statement for me that like, this is a no joke disease. Yeah. Uh-uh. It is not messing around. I got chills just hearing that because I yeah. mean, it is, it is so dangerous. It's crazy how dangerous it is. Yeah. More people are in jail. More people kill people over relationships. And I feel mm-hmm. like our society sometimes likes to glamorize it and like sure. falling in oh, love, yeah. having sex, being over sexualized. Mm-hmm. Do you think that has played into you, your sex addiction? Absolutely. And I think a lot of it is, was like expectations for men, you know, mm. and how, and how men are supposed to be men through this conquest, right? The more, the more people you've slept with, the, the more of a man you are. That's um, crazy. Yeah. And, and I've run into that with so many sponsees where we get to, you know, the sex inventory and the yeah, fourth the step <laughs> and they're, and they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed that they're low. And they're and they said, "Well, I won't have much to put on there, man." And I'm like, "You should be proud of that. That's a good thing. Plus, it'll make your life easier for a little bit." Yeah, I mean, I, I, that to me is nuts that a man would think yeah. if he had a lower number, it would make him less of a man. Yeah, yeah. So I think that absolutely played a role in you know how I thought about what I was doing because it was like, yeah, I know this is bad, but at the same time, it's good in this bizarre way. Yeah. Here's my other question for you and you might not answer it and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Okay. But do you have a, the other thing men don't like to talk about is their addiction to the porn addiction to yeah. masturbation and right. have you paid for sex? No, I haven't. Um, and I think a lot of that just came from, I don't know it to me, it was, again, these expectations. It felt like if I paid for it, I was less of a man. Mm. And, and I had gone to, I mean, I, when I was 18, I went to, um, I went to Amsterdam and, Mm. you know, we, I went to the red light district and I was like, I cannot bring myself to do this. Not because I feel it's wrong, not at all, because I, I feel like I am less of a man if I pay for it. But because Um, I think your addiction and my addiction is not tied to the sex, like you said, it's for me, it's like the power, the chase, the control over somebody else. And it's not real. The sex is actually not a big deal. Can you talk about if you have that porn problem or the masturbation problem? Yeah, I can. It's both. That's one thing, honestly, I'm grateful about is that I don't, you know, I no longer let that shame control me about these things. Um, Mm. You know, there is a lot of power, I think, in talking about it and being able to be open about it, because if I try to hide it, it's just one more secret I don't need. It's one more secret, right? It's one more thing. Anytime we try to hide something, it's almost like we're killing our insides. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I found that, you know, I was really worried when I first got sober and started working in marketing, I was so worried about being professional and about, you know, having hiding from others now that I'm sober, that I'm sober, you know, all these things um, that I have problems with. And, you know, when I decided that I wasn't 
you know, I was going to be open about my addiction on social media and start writing about it. I was like, why am I, why am I hiding any of this? This one, it could help someone. Um, but two, that's who I am. And to keep that a secret is, is like keeping, I'm keeping it from myself and I'm, I feel like I'm lying about who I am and what I've experienced. My thing too, and and I get like the anonymity and and finding yeah. their sobriety, but there gets to a point when you get to a certain years in the program where it's about being of service bigger than yeah. you. And that's yeah. what made me come out and say, listen, I'm a woman. I right. ha- am a sex and love addict. There are so many women in the program. And mm-hmm. I love that you reached out to me and you were like, I want to talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think it makes a huge difference. I mean, because again, porn addiction. How often do we talk about that in sort of a, you know, this is a societal problem? But how many men don't want us to have anything to? Oh, of course, you know, I don't have a problem. But you know, I remember some something in the news where it was like in Canada they wanted to do a study on men who watched porn versus men who didn't watch porn and they mm-hmm. couldn't find any men who didn't watch porn for their study and That's yet we crazy. don't want to talk about it <laughs> yeah. but it, I think it is honestly ruining society it's taking yeah. away and that kids as yeah. young boys as young as six mm-hmm. and eight are when they first watch porn and it desensitizes yeah. You know, the connection between a man and a woman or a woman and a woman, whatever your preference is. Right. Do you feel that that kept you disconnected from your relationship with your wife? I think it did. I think it affected it heavily um, because I had unreasonable expectations for how she should look, for Mm -hmm. how she should act, um, Mm -hmm. for how for what I deserved um, from a sexual standpoint, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, just putting these unreasonable expectations on our marriage. um, And I can absolutely I could absolutely see how if I allowed this to continue if I continued to watch the porn, which she didn't care about one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but if I continued to do it, I would not be okay with the way it was affecting how I looked at my wife. Yeah. Oh, I love that. How honest, how brave to actually say that because a lot of men don't like to talk about it. No, no. I think there's some deep shame around it. And, but I mean, I think that there's that with sex just in general, there's so many taboos around it and every culture has uh, their own taboos. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's horrible. I think how, how taboo a lot of it is, because if it wasn't so taboo, we could talk about it and maybe solve some of these problems. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you the question. It's about the seven deadly sins. And I know we talked a lot about a lot of different addictions, so you can Mm -hmm. tie it to whichever one or all of them. Um, Let me name them for you. It's more of a character defects sense. So we got pride, greed, lust, Mm -hmm. gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. Mm -hmm. Do any of your addictions tie to those? Probably every single one. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to answer it like that. (laughs) Especially pride, though. Mm -hmm. Um, I think pride is, I mean, gosh, how how much of keeping a secret has to do with pride and worrying about what other people think? Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I always say it's the ego in me. Yeah. Absolutely. I I think so many of the, because like wrath, why would I be getting half the time I'm getting upset and angry Mm -hmm. because my pride and my ego are being hurt. Right. Yeah. 
Exactly. They're all tied together. Gluttony with the food, the sex, yep. greed, wanting mm-hmm. it all, wanting to cheat and yeah. then have a, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Now, if anybody's listening right now, what would be your advice for them if they're struggling, you know, with all those things, the porn, the masturbation, the eating, the alcohol, the drugs, what would be, since you have nine years of sobriety and your feet right. are on the ground, what right. would be your advice for them? My advice is to is to seek the help, and it's okay if you need to keep it secret. I mean, that's why we have anonymity in these yeah. programs. Um, but I kept it a secret for ten ten years, ten and a half sure. years. Yeah, sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would say this is probably the first time talking to you that I've really been open about everything. You know, at once. Because I have to mention, if anyone is listening, when you emailed me, you didn't mention the food or the sex. I didn't initially, but then, yeah. but then I thought about it and I was like, I need to be, if that, this, that's the whole point of this podcast. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> I love it though. But that was a secret that I didn't know when you came on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that, um, it, that's my advice is to get it out to somebody, even if it's just one person, your sponsor, or, you know, like it says in the big book, a priest, somebody mm-hmm. get it out, get that stuff out. I had a, I had an old sponsor who, um, he found he had to get, do a fifth step and he was in the middle of nowhere and he literally found a farmer on a farm. And I think in like Tennessee or something, and he just spilled his guts to this guy and never saw him again. And that was he just needed to do that. Somebody had to hear it, wow. you know, for him to be free. That's so interesting because uh, my husband and I lately have been reading the 12 and 12 and I'm not, this mm-hmm. podcast is not about 12 step programs, right. but you're in a 12 step program. I'm in a 12 yes. step program. So we get it. Like we were reading, right. we're reading the 12 and 12 at night and we were just reading. What is the point of doing a fifth step? Doesn't God hear your secrets? Doesn't God know all right. this? horrible things. And it's like, it's different when one other person can hear that truth. It's almost like they're acting as a God. Oh, that's so true. That's, that's exactly what I always tell people is I am a stand in for your higher power, because there's a big difference between speaking into the air and looking someone in the eye and saying, this is what I have done. These are all the horrible things I have done. And I'm ashamed. And here's the beautiful thing, right? When you do that fifth step, it, the person usually looks at you and, and they're like, that's it. That's all you've yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not alone. I I have had some where I was like, Oh man, that was, I have never done anything that bad. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky you. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, Adam, I'm so grateful for you reaching out to me, coming on, speaking so openly about everything. I, I truly am appreciative. Yeah, I'm, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been great. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.